Wow, what a difference. The Talkbuster Podcast. Hi, I'm Chris Chipman. You may remember me from such podcasts as the Chipman Brothers Tangent and Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. I'm here to bring you back to the late 90s, early 2000s. A time of AMRAs and clamshells. A time of late fees and VHS tapes being replaced by DVDs. A time of stale gumballs and overpriced candy. Yes, that's right. I am talking about the time of Blockbuster Video. The Walmart of the video rental industry. The mom and pop video store killer. The corporate big choice video store that everybody loved to hate. Blockbuster is mostly gone now, aside from parody Twitter accounts. By the way, The Last Lonely Blockbuster is amazing and you should be following them. Kids today will never know the crazy Friday and Saturday nights with lines wrapped around the store to rent the next big movie. No more will regulars, who are in the know, arrive at 10 a.m. on Tuesdays to snatch up the new rentals that week before the weekend rush. Most of all, no longer will young movie geeks like myself have the memories I, and many others like me, made while working there. You see, under all of the corporate evil and bad practices, Blockbuster was a home, a comfort a place where I made lifelong friends and even met my wife. It is because of these memories that I, and I'm sure many of you, have that the Talkbuster podcast was created, a place for me and others to share our memories of what once was, of the before time, of the long, long ago. I'm looking forward to see where this goes, how it evolves. Join me, won't you? Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Talkbuster podcast. As always, I'm Chris Chipman at the Chippa on Twitter. Um, it's going to be a cool episode tonight. I've uh, I've got an old friend. Um, our paths, as far as Blockbuster were concerned, never crossed together at Blockbuster. Um, but uh, this is uh, my buddy Jason, who I've known since high school. Um, really close friend of uh, a very close friend of mine from high school, and also the cousin of another kid I went to school with. So, uh, Jason, introduce yourself. Tell everybody how you're doing. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, man, you said all the good parts about me. There's nothing left. Nah, nah, plenty of good parts. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've known you for a very long time. We, yeah. We're old chums, as oh, it were. So how old, how much younger than me are you? Two years? I think so. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I'm like mysteriously in my early 30s. We'll leave it at that. Yes, and so am I. We'll, we'll leave it at that, too. And I'm in my mid thirties. Fuck. How, how, how is that Jason? How? Um, well, you know, time, it just keeps on rolling. Time, <laughs> time and time and time. <laughs> um, so, so be- before getting into the, the blockbuster side of things, um, Jason and I, and my friend Jared and Jason's cousin, Josh, and a whole bunch of other people, um, used to hang out at Jason's house in Marblehead, which is an adjacent town, kind of through another town to Lynn, where I live. And I think, did you grow up in Lynn, Jason, or did you grow up in Marblehead? I grew up actually. It was pretty mixed in both towns. Um, I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house. Yep. Uh, and so when I was younger, uh, I got the flavor of both places, but I never really lived in either. Interesting. Kind of that half and half. Yeah. So, uh, so we'd kind of go corral at Jason's house after school on whoever knows what night of the week. And this is when I was working at Blockbuster, but nobody else was, or no one in that group anyway. Um, and we'd, I guess, what, what's the best way to describe it? We'd make trailers for movies that we wanted to make, but the trailer was more fun. Yeah. Well, and I think that was a product of sort of like time and resources. Um, you know, we never... We never really had the, I, I don't know, everything to sort of get a, a real movie done. But I don't think our tastes ever landed in shorts. Like, that was not a thing I feel like we were ever interested in. We were interested in telling longer stories. Right. And, and those really fit a paradigm of, like, a feature. So we just never bothered to make a short film. <laughs> we made a trailer for a a feature film, even though we were never going to actually make that feature. Right. So then you'd end up with like 10 trailers that would, that would make the length of a feature film. (laughs) Those, those were a lot of fun. You know, so before getting started with talking about Blockbuster in general, 
uh, I think it's really interesting looking at my opinion of Blockbuster starting when you worked there when we were in high school and transitioning all the way to now. That's right? a great because idea. When I was in high school, and I think I wasn't the only one who thought this, like you had a very coveted position. Like you were not only at this job and at this job that was steady, but you were also like the person who got the baton and ran it furthest. Like you were as close to the sun as possible, right? You got free rentals. That was totally a thing that was like when we were teenagers, like, oh, this dude, he's got free rentals. Like, that's crazy. Right. And I'd but show like, up, awesome. I'd show up with the, the movies before they came out. Right. So, so we could all watch them. And, you know, that, that was an interesting thing because then, you know, they weren't being shared on the internet. Right. That, that was, you know, still, that was still an up and coming thing. Right. Napster was the big thing then. Right. The internet had enough bandwidth for people to steal songs, not as much bandwidth for people to steal movies. Right. So, um, you know, if, if, if the, you know, the movie that had the art house run in LA, that everyone heard about but really wanted to see blockbuster would get one copy of it two weeks before it came out i'd be able to bring it and we'd all you know sit around and watch it um and outside of that we'd have to you know go into kendall or something in boston to see those things if they came around yeah and it really it was this thing that was like mysterious and interesting and you know you working there really I don't know how to describe it outside of like, it was a thing that I felt like I wasn't the only, like I definitely wanted to work there with you, you know? And it was like, I'm so interested in that. I'm obviously so interested in movies, but also the games, but also you had management responsibilities. And it's funny sort of like now I've, I've not considered that since whatever age we were in our teens, you know? Like being on the other side of it and having worked there, right? Like I never made that connection. I never thought about that while I was there. Yeah, that's it's only like now where it's like, oh man. If you knew somebody that worked at Blockbuster now that was our age now, what's your honest reaction? You'd be like, Oh man, like I don't know, <laughs> you're there? Oh, like it, I mean, good for you. It's great you have a job, but uh it, it, it's really get out of there. It's really interesting, right? Because at the time, because now would be different. Like if Blockbuster was still around, it's like, oh man, that that's going nowhere. But you know the the some of my best friends are people that you know were five, ten years older than me that were still working there when I was seventeen, right? So a lot of those guys, you know, were at the time, you know, it seemed like this is going to be their career, you know, and and luckily you know, long before that company ever went anywhere, they all moved on from that too. I mean, Steve, who I've had on here is a um, IT guy. He's a plus certified. Um, Jeremy's worked for log me in and other places like that. Um, Tim's got a really great job at a, not at all like a blockbuster place. Um, you know, my brother is a friggin' internet critic that makes all of his money doing that is just skyrocketed through to whatever, realm of success he's at right now which is awesome and um you know and i you know was never going to be stuck there you know i was going to college right after that to be an engineer and that's what i'm doing and and you i you know it's really interesting that you say that you know the the looking up to your friend kind of has like the keys to the kingdom at the time you know uh it always makes me think of that dane cook gag where like you know his manager decides to make him a manager and the guy's like makes it into like a big like reward and he's like oh man all my dreams <laughs> yeah right but 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 it really was it was it was a cool place to work but um you know before we move forward you know Jason it, it, I wanted to talk a little bit about what you're doing one because here's a good sounding board to to pitch it so people know about it but also I've never really talked to you all that in depth other than seeing what you've put on the internet so uh why don't you tell me and the people listening to this um, your uh, current um, work in the uh, the film and multimedia world of things? Sure. Yeah. So I'm a producer. Uh, I make uh, film and 
video content. Uh, most of what I do is for companies um, that lands on the internet. A lot of stuff that I do is like product tours and uh, I do um, like customer testimonials and stuff like that. But we also do ads. Um, we do live stream. Um, my company does all sorts of things uh, pertaining to uh, digital recording. Um, we did actually run uh, for another company. We ran and cleaned up a podcast for a while. Um, but since that time, we've sort of veered away from there. Uh, and we've done a lot of refocusing on both live streaming uh, with video and uh, traditional storytelling and really digging deep into storytelling. Yeah. And the, the name is what? Infinite Canvas? Yeah, that's the name of our company. I think that's really cool. Thanks. And you've you've been doing you've been doing that for how long now? So this is we in September of last year uh, came into Infinite, Infinite Canvas's sixth year. That's amazing. Yeah, it's super exciting. We now have an office in Austin. It's really cool, um, and we're we're just still expanding and growing. Now I'm I'm gonna forget his name off the top of my head, but one of the guys that works with you or worked with you, I had an internship with at Excellus way back in the day. And why am I blanking on his name? Hmm. Um, I'll have to tell you after because I'm I'm blanking on his name. But it was a really cool connection. I saw him showing up in a bunch of like Facebook tags in behind the scenes stuff, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> he was it Tom? He, yeah, he went to Olin. Is that Kotchum? Tom Kotchum? Yeah, yeah. Tom. Yeah. yeah. Is he yeah, still Tom is he still is with you guys? Storyteller. Uh we only did like narrative fun work with Tom. Um we worked with him a bunch a few years ago. He's a really, really good storyteller. But uh since then, you know, he he's been focusing on getting married and a bunch of other life stuff. Uh so he hasn't really been able to turn his attention back towards us, but Tom, if you're listening, let's do another project. Yeah, sp speaking of that, and we can, you know, talk about that more after this, too. I'd, I'd love to do something with you guys, too, even if it's just helping out running cameras around or whatever. Um, yeah, that'd be awesome. Get back We're into in the that. we some projects right now. You can, there's definitely room to jump in. Cool, man. So uh, I, I, I just wanted to make sure you got a chance to plug that. So everybody, check on Infinite Canvas. If you're listening to this and you work somewhere that could use their services, please do. Um, I've been watching pretty much everything you post and it's all, it's all pretty kick-ass. I just never got to talk to you about it in person, you know? Um, so that's cool. Um, it's funny how that works, right? It's funny how the internet works. I met up with someone the other day and they had like just come back from Rome, you know? And it was like, oh, hey, Rome looked cool. How was that baguette you had out on the, the random terrace? On Tuesday. Like, what? Yeah, and they were like, "What do you, what do you mean?" And it was like, "Well, I mean, I saw everything, so, you know, I'm just curious. That looked like great food. I'm gonna go there. Like, what, you know, how was, how was that?" And they were like, "Oh yeah, I forgot. You can see everything I do because I post it all." <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um. I, I, totally aside from that, if you want to check out Infinite Canvas, our website is uh, www.infinitecanvas.co. Nice. No M. We're too cool for the M. Way too cool for the M. Nice. And so, uh, yeah, I kind of skyrocketed us back into the future, but it seemed like the right time to say it. But, you know, you're talking about, okay, so I'm I'm at Blockbuster, and, you, you know, you're bringing that up of, like, that's something that you guys, like, either looked up to or thought was, like, a really cool thing. That's, it, you know, it's something you don't think about at the time, right? It's like I didn't think of it that I was – you know, anything special other than we like movies and I have access to them. <laughs> yeah. You know? And I feel like that is, it's this really interesting thing of like, you know, it just so happened that we were all nerdy teenagers who loved film. And so that was just like this really great thing that worked that specific way. But I feel like we, there were two places, right? There was GameStop and that. And if you were the kind of nerd that I was as a kid, like both of those places were like, those were like attainable goals, 
Right. Do you know what I mean? Like you looked at like, oh, oh, there's Matt Damon. He's so cool. He's this and that. It's like, okay, well, there's no way I'm going to do that. <laughs> like, I don't see the road from here to there. Like, it's a long road. That's like walking the California long length of a road. Right. But you look at like, oh, working at GameStop or working at Blockbuster. For a younger kid, especially like 12 or 13, when there wasn't Steam and when there wasn't Netflix and when there wasn't all that, like, that was sort of this like road of attainability of like, and when you knew the perks, if you knew like five rentals a week or whatever, you know, it was like, oh my God, I don't even have enough for one rental a week. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, let alone five. Like, so I really think it, it, when I say coveted, it is like this level of like, man, I didn't, I, I had some money. I was, I was very unique as a teenager in that I got to work a lot, but I don't think you could unmarry yourself from that idea of like, only having a very limited amount of disposable income and and you sort of had this like bar removed for you of like you didn't have to spend that right and and i went there and they paid me on top of it so so it was really cool right wait a minute you're paying me to do what so this is yeah and this is an interesting take this is why i love the fact that i i came up with the idea of doing this podcast because everyone i have on even like I thought it would just be a chance for me and like the core group of guys I worked with to kind of just wax philosophically about how great it was and tell all these stories. But I had no idea you had all these thoughts about me. Cause you know, we were friends just hanging out. You know what I mean? It's like we were um, unmarried from the working together part of that. Right. So this is a completely different take, you know, and you're right. You know, I mean, outside of GameStop, outside of working there, or maybe being like, a kid in a movie theater that could get your, you know, you get like 10 movies a week or whatever. Cause, cause the original, the original idea of that from the company is, I guess the, the idea is that you're supposed to, you know, test drive the product, but we weren't, yeah, they we want you to watch, we everything. weren't, we weren't using it to watch, you know, the new Michael Bay movie. We were using it to watch the weird shit, <laughs> you know, yeah. or, or, or rent the, you know, the messed up video games and everything. Um, <laughs> You know, well, and so the the funny thing about this, you know, you've talked about like Blockbuster as a cool experience. Uh, we're talking about this as like being so coveted. It's funny that you say all this because my Blockbuster experience was an absolute nightmare. The entire time I worked at Blockbuster, it was insane. Yeah, so let's. I mean, we we can jump around in time. Let's go to that. So, with did you work at the Blockbuster in Swampskit? No, but I oh. had applied and intended to work at that one very specifically because I only lived 30 seconds away. You could walk there. Um, in fact, when I worked at the Swampskit one, I would literally wander over to your house afterwards when everybody was hanging out. <laughs> yeah, it was perfect. It was so close. And like I said, you know, even at that time, when I worked there in my early 20s, I was already done with college and there definitely was still it was after college but I was trying to figure things out and it was an intermediate job and there was still some of that magic there was definitely that idea and and being that close to the store really I think helped that it was a proximity thing Um, but I didn't get there and I was sort of disappointed at the time but they put me in Salem and you know, whatever. The Salem store was literally like a seven or eight minute drive. Yeah, it just, wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. So what what was the year on this? Was this like 2008, 2009? Yeah, this was 2008. All right. So this was – so you, you may have been – I just can't remember times anymore. You may have been working in Salem when I was working in Swampskit. Because, you know, you were because you came in and re- applied at Swampskit when I was there. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Because I was at Swampskit basically through to the end of college or nearly through to the end of college. Yeah. Well, and then Swampscott was such a great one, too. You know, Swampscott had so many, like, it just, it was the only really game in town outside of Chet's. So, Did for you, everybody. You, you, like, know, you know Chet's finally went under? I do. I do know that Chet's but, um, went under. But what, the Crosby's, was it, down the street? I think it was Crosby's. Um, they just ate them? No, they didn't eat him. What they did was they they let Chet um, move his candy side of the place into Crosby's. 
Oh, that's cool. So he's still operating, and I guess he works there. But um, or at least the family that was running it or whatever. But the video rental thing went away. I mean, we we used. I always liked that Chet's outlived Blockbuster, right? Because um, people used to come in from Marblehead Swampskit store when I was there, and be like, "You guys are putting good places like Chet's out of business." And I'm like, "I'm I'm pretty sure Chet will be around a lot longer than us." You know, he's a community guy. <laughs> like, and he was. Yeah, he was. And you know, I don't know how taboo it is to talk about. The other guy. Oh no, it's perfect, podcast, dude. But, in uh... fact, in fact, you 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 haven't listened. You you admitted you haven't listened to the other ones yet. Out of the seven episodes I've done, four of them, I had a guy. He reached out to me and said, you know, he worked for Game Crazy, which I guess was the Ooh. GameStop that like they would stuck inside of Hollywood Video. And so he wanted to be on and talk about that. My buddy Dan, that worked for Movie Gallery, I've had on. And I had a guy that worked for a porn store on. Whoa. Yeah, so it's been kind of wild. Like, Yeah, so if you're listening to this one, this is the boring of, a, of all of them. You got to, listener, get out there, go back and listen to the other ones, and then, you know, remember no, this isn't, like 20 minutes. This isn't boring. So, so, go, so go for it. So t- tell, me your, tell me your hell stories of the Salem Blockbuster store, because all of my great stories are from the Salem one. I haven't even gotten into Swampskit yet on my episodes because I haven't interviewed anyone from there yet. So oh, yeah. you're you're going to completely turn the tables because Salem was wonderful when I worked there. <laughs> yeah. So the first day I came into Salem officially as what is known as a sales manager. And it was my job to push sales. Although if you were to look at the hierarchy, my role as a key holder was assistant manager. Oh, yeah. So right under the manager. And, uh, you know, super nervous. I had, I was previously to this a key holder at GameStop. And I had sort of like got there very easily. Um, but it, so it was interesting coming from somewhere else where like I was getting these responsibilities and hadn't earned them. Because when you earn them, I feel like it's more comfortable. Everybody right. already knows you. It's a transition of power. It, it goes much more smoothly. But I didn't know what to expect. And so I, I got there that first day. Uh, my training manager was this guy, Dave. And he was like <clears throat> outside of the hierarchy, right? So the store's manager was there that day. The staff was there. And Dave was extra to all of them, which was interesting that's really Um, weird yeah and you know you know being a part of a store like that like especially salem is so large there are enough employees there that all already knew each other that it was really weird coming into this sort of working cooperative relationship where everybody was kind of clicky already oh yeah You know, I make friends or whatever. It was interesting and I kind of learned about people and uh, the Salem manager at the time, he was like a second degree black belt in karate or something. He was kind of interesting and um, the systems, everything was overwhelming, right? From the people to using crappy DOS. Oh, God. They were were still at that at that point? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So end of the day happens. Dave, Dave is like super... Dave is an awesome guy. To this day, I wish I still kept in touch with him because he was really cool. But he also was one of those people who just never had a problem um, just telling you how it was, right? Or like getting into it. Dave never sugarcoated anyone, anything. So end of the first day, I'm still kind of nervous, but it's cool. And I'm in the back. Everyone else leaves. Dave is teaching me how to lock up. And Dave looks at me and he's like, hey, man, so uh, did you make any friends today? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> what are you talking about? What kind of question is that? And he was like, I was like, I guess maybe a little, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just getting to know people. And he goes, good. And I'm like, what? What he the goes, fuck? Firing the entire store tomorrow. Oh, my God. So you were part of the cleanup crew. Yep. And they fired the entire Blockbuster Salem that day. Everybody got fired. Dave was like, someone's stealing. We don't know who it is. 
they're all getting terminated. Holy shit. And I was like, okay, so <laughs> what does that mean? And that Dan means it's like, just you and me, tomorrow. Jason, all alone, all night. Oh, God. Yeah. And so the next day, they wiped everyone out. And Dave and I, we got a third and a fourth person back pretty quickly. But basically on the second day, Dave was like, you better learn this shit real quick. because." No white knight is coming to to get you out of here. And it was like, okay, <laughs> like whatever you want, man. I'm 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 your guy. Like let's do this. And so it was a nightmare because I would say I don't think we got our third and fourth employee until like a few days in at least. So you were I running it with two transfers. people, and it was my second day. Yeah. Oh my god. And so we would work, I'd be there like at least 40 hours a week and I'd have like awkward 10 hour shifts and there would only be one other person on staff with me at Salem. Jesus. Which was a, a huge store. It oh, absolutely. Yeah. That was, that was, that was right before they halved it. Yes. Yeah. It was still, they had not halved it at that point. They did that after I Th- left. That store was, was like giant. Crazy. Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was a nightmare, like all the time, it, you know, and once we finally got the, the reins, um, it, there's always this interesting disconnect in relationships with via the top and the bottom and large corporate stores like this, you know, and once we sort of got our act together, we never really got any employees more than like the four or five, like the staff slowly grew. Um, but once we started getting more, they would basically play these games, right? And so like we'd get like, in one week, I'd get like eight or nine game reservations or, or movie reservations or whatever, you know, pre-orders for stuff. And they'd be like, well, you should have, uh, the, whatever the Blockbuster home delivery service was. It was like, well, that's what we were tracking this week. So uh, you still didn't do a good job. Oh, it's like, Jesus. Wait, what? And they, they just hammered with these games. And it was like every week, it would be like, fine, okay. So we'd focus exclusively that next week on, you know, getting Blockbuster online or whatever. the Yeah, that was it, Blockbuster.com. Yeah. Yeah, and it was like, okay, well, you know, we were looking for the game reserves this week. It's like, we're, Okay. <laughs> Whatever, whatever thing, you want, man. whatever thing you're not doing is what we were looking for. So there you go. Yeah, and it really had this like pattern to it of like, well, this is what it was. <laughs> it's like, you guys suck. <laughs> you guys really, you're so tone deaf about what's happening here. Like, you gotta, you gotta start listening. It's nice to see the same problems that they were having when I left. They were, <laughs> they just continued on where, where they. They, you know, they started getting, you know, the individuality of the people they didn't like. They wanted, you know, it wasn't about people coming in and having someone to talk to that would help them find a good movie anymore. It was, oh, if it's not these five movies we're telling you to push, we don't want you telling people about it. And it's like that people are people are moving to the Internet, you know, and the Netflixes and everywhere because those things are easy. Like, it's like the Amazon versus, you know, Toys R Us or something thing. If you don't offer them a service they can't get there, they're going to stop coming to you, right? The best part about that job was the the friends that you worked with and the individuality of the store, you know, being able to make your own favorite section and having regular customers who would come in and tell you your employee favorites sucked or tell you it was awesome and they wanted to see more movies like it, you know? When they started taking that away, it just it it was that bad corporate mindset that killed the place. Yeah, and you know the idea of upselling. Oh yeah, really hit like it hit this crossroads in that era specifically because in '08 and '09 is when Netflix started its online streaming side of the service. Yep, um, and and 
GameStop has always had this problem too, where people don't want to be upsold. Like we don't want to go to a place and have you ask us about a thing that we know you don't want to ask us about. And like I, none of that needs to exist. You exactly. Know? And in and, and this crossroads, it's like, dude, I don't need to come here anymore. Like, I don't need to walk into a store and get a DVD from you and have you try to sell me eight different things. Like, I just click a button and it's over. Right. You know? And I think I get why they did it. And I know how it made money. I made it money. I made it a lot of money. But, like, it also creates this relationship where there is no trust. Right. Because you're going to go in on your guard saying, what's he going to sell me today? What's he want from me today? You know? And like, like you're talking about, that's why Chet's outlived it. Like outlived Blockbuster. Because Chet's not frigging up selling somebody to try to get a game reserve or to, to do six other things, you know? Right. He actually is free. He's liberated to say, what are you looking for this week? Oh, you want an old romance that's really good? When's the last time you watched whatever eternal sunshine when's the last time you watched this you know like he he's able to actually not have like the rental is the only thing he's in game for you know right he's not trying to do 17 different things and that's where blockbuster i know they needed as much revenue as possible but it's like dude you could have just had less employees you could kept that same, right cut the know? cut this number of stores down and and uh, or you know or something yeah because uh, I was talking to someone the other day that works for um, uh, REI, the the sports, the you know REI, the recreational store, right? And they're they're in the same vein as the Eastern Mountain Sports and the LL Beans and everything of the world. But where Eastern Mountain Sports and LL Beans have kind of become more of a like an Abercrombie that also sells sporting goods, um, REI is trying to push hard down on the, we're a service related um, store. So if you have skis, you know, you can bring them in and we'll fix them up for you. If you buy them here, we have a tech on hand that's going to come and help you with that. We got, and, and so they say they're doubling down on having like a bike specialist on hand all the time who can turn around your bike fix in a couple of days to stop people from, you know, going to a local friend that does it or to go online, you know, to buy their stuff. And it's interesting to see the world doubling back down on that because Blockbuster and Best Buy and everyone who got hit hard by it, you know, Circuit City and everyone died during it. Were, they had their heads up their ass at the upsell and were hiring people that didn't know anything about the product because they didn't, they didn't need people to sell the product. They needed people to, you know, at, make, make you buy five more boxes of popcorn, you know, and a DVD player, you know, instead or and direct TV, you know, or whatever else they were hawking, you know? Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, I really do question a lot of that turnover and a lot of like weird relationships that employees had with Blockbuster was because of that stress. And it's like, all right, so you're going to tell me that, you know, you if you net whatever, 0.2% upsell in sales, then it's going to translate to $475,000 in revenue over eight months and whatever, you know, and losing an employee is really only going to cost you about 25000 with all retraining and new hire and all that. But it's like, at the end of the day, if you have somebody here, you're, you're looking at the intangibles, right? You at that Blockbuster and Swampscott could make real recommendations. You could cultivate a relationship with the customers long term, right? That's the idea. Exactly. Chats, right? Is that people go in to talk to Chet. <laughs> yeah. Like they actually want to talk to him. They actually are interested in what his advice is. And there are these great employees that have existed over time at GameStop, at Hollywood, at Blockbuster, who were like trying to get through that bullshit of like the upsell and all this other dumbass stuff that they had to be, to actually create the relationships with their customers. When I was at GameStop, I actually had real relationships 
with my customers where we could someone could come in and be like I'm looking for a new game I want to do something else you know I'm really looking for an action beat them up like I just I want to kill some time and beat up some bad guys what do you got for me right I could actually give them a recommendation and be like cool 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 here's what you should test out like try this game we actually have a copy used and if you think it sucks you can bring it back in seven days exactly and people were like, damn, that's so cool. I really, thank, like, thanks. I'll actually do that. I'll try it out. Like, you don't get, a, so much of that was lost, right? And it became this, how can I help you? Which, as a customer, your knee-jerk reaction is, get the fuck away from me. Right. You know, like, you can't help me. Go away. Like, I'll do it myself. It's wild. Yeah, And, you know, and to me, that was the best part about working there was the parts that weren't sanctioned by corporate. You know, they didn't want us having an employee favorite section. We did it anyway. You know, they they didn't want us having that kind of relationship because we might tell them to rent something that, you know, the company isn't pushing that week. Um, but but people kept coming back because of that, you know, and 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 I, I mentioned it and, you know, the ones I've done, you know, with the people I worked with in Salem, but they literally split our entire store up of people that had worked a good two years together, the same core group of like seven or eight people. And you've met all these guys, you know, Jeremy and Casey and my brother and Tim and, um, and Paul and all them. And they split us all up because they fed the store was running too well. So that means you guys must've been stealing. And we couldn't believe it because then they sent us to stores with people that didn't care and were ripping the company off, you know. And, and then every single one of us that went to a different store were part of a group finding people that were fucking the company over. And they were the ideal employees as far as the company was concerned, the people that, you know, had the best direct TV sales and sold the most rewards memberships, you know, <laughs> and upsold the candy every time. Um, you know, and, uh, and made sure every Michael Bay movie got rented out, you know, or whatever movie Paramount was hawking that month because we were, we were owned by Viacom at the time, (laughs) you know, and, uh, it's just amazing. I'm, I'm amazed and really happy that you had such a similar experience with the corporate side of it so long after I was there, but I'm super bummed out that you had such a good you had a good time at GameStop and didn't get to have that at Blockbuster because it was so cool when it was cool, you know? Yeah, and GameStop was, GameStop certainly had its share of hard times, but we were afforded the ability, this was the era in late 2008 where companies were already tightening their belts like crazy. And at both GameStop and unsurprisingly at Blockbuster, we we had staffs on the floor that were completely nuked, you know? Oh, yeah. It was always a minimal staff at GameStop all the time. Keyholders opened and only during, like, after school did a second person come on. Like, for most of the day, one person was in the store. Which and is I, just chaos, because even at a small GameStop, without a person to pay attention to the people wandering around, it you know, especially, like, in a mall... Like, you're going to get ripped off so bad, (laughs) you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But that that P&L to them, you know, those companies are so big, it's all run through the numbers. Oh, yeah. That's it. It's all numbers. And playing a numbers game at that level is fine. I totally understand it. I own a business. Got it. But, like, you got to also encourage the connection. And we definitely – so – I got onto Blockbuster in like August and it was really a nightmare until like mid to end of September. And then we really started like staffing up again and like it became much better. But those early days, I mean, they feel like forever, right? They feel like years because the store was untamed using the DOS system required so much learning and I'm great at computers. I was used to DOS because I learned DOS as a kid. I still like if I would run into an issue like doing 
like check if there was a check issue or like checking in stuff or if the inventory was wrong and I had to fix it. Like those were advanced changes to the system that like I had no idea. And I was there alone. <laughs> you know, it's like, what am I doing right now? I, I don't know. Um, and it, it, it just felt like an eternity. That's insane. I, I had no, I had no idea you went through this, man. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and it's not until considering this now thinking of how coveted it was as a team. Like it really was this, like, I, I, I don't know. Grass is greener. Like once you get it, we're insert it's too late at night we're recording this too late my brain's not working probably but you know what i'm talking about it's okay get i, I get like, exactly oh, what you're saying not what i expected it, it's a cult all. it's a culture shock and you know it's you can you can correlate it with growing up right it's like you go from you go from uh oh man like this attainable like you said the attainable thing right like the i mean you're 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 doing the unattainable and that you're running a production company right that's the, the jason walsh i knew at 17 was always going to do that, but around here, holy shit, how were you going to pull that off around here? You know what I mean? Especially when, when we were 17, right? That They weren't making movies around here at all, right? The, 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 you, you, I wouldn't say got lucky, but you've completely um, capitalized on the existence of the internet, you know, and all this other stuff. It's like, I mean, I've seen like the 3D walkthroughs of, you know, houses for sale and businesses and all that. It, it, it's cool because you, you, I can watch it and go, Jason made that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in my head, I just know it because I've, I've made stuff with you before. I know, I know your eye, you know what I mean? And it, it's so cool to see the kid, you know, we're, we're making multiples of ourselves in, as aliens invading your house, you know, at 17, you know, running his own production company now is really cool. You know, and the closest thing I have to it is making these silly podcasts anymore. <laughs> well yeah and you know what's cool about that so this is actually blockbuster is the fulcrum from which i switched this was the time and uh i got very lucky because in 2008 we were on the verge of a revolution this is the time that the canon 5d mark ii came out yes which basically started a revolution you know and it wasn't the only camera at the time, but it really is widely known as the catalyst for this new internet age of video production. Absolutely. And, and I didn't even know it. In August of that year, when I first started there, I had no idea that was going to happen. And I... If, like, and it was by the end of that year, I had already left Blockbuster and I was already on that path. I actually only worked at Blockbuster for like three and a half months. And it seems like an eternity, doesn't it? <laughs> oh man. Yeah. And it was, it was a, a ride, you know? And after leaving there, I, so I actually, when I left, so the store by mid-September, we had like pretty much we didn't have a full staff but we now had enough people to cover shifts that like i could have a life again right um and we got some great people in fact already at that point by mid-september someone again got fired of course they were always fired one of the new people was stealing <laughs> within being there for a month and a half she was already stealing from that store and it was just like, really? <laughs> like, you, I mean, I get it because I get the stress level and I'm, you know, but it was just like crazy. Um, once we had gotten into like October, we really got steady. It became much more comfortable. Um, and what I started doing, because the internet had really been radically changing at this point. Yeah, oh, big like time. Like you said, like, like you were talking about having an employees section when they didn't allow you to have one. That was super helpful. What Blockbuster had was, you know, that store specifically had a couple of TVs, but I don't really remember them working. Um, it was hard to like upsell things that were coming in. And so 
what I did was we had a PlayStation 3 console with like its own stand-up. I, um, I actually like would create USB sticks with all the game trailers on them and I would go onto that PS3 and I would have those trailers cycle all day. See, that's so awesome. That upsell. Yeah, and I was like, because at the time, you know, they really wanted to emulate GameStop and they wanted game reserves. Oh yeah, they so, wanted they wanted GameStop so bad. Block, Blockbuster oh, wanted to be GameStop so bad. And so that was a thing that I did. And then I would bring people over to the PS3 and be like, oh, you should check this out. Force Unleashed is coming out. It's a cool new game or whatever, you know, like this is a, this is a new thing. And like they, they wanted those numbers, but they never really gave us the tools to, to get those numbers well. And no. so I would just make them myself. I was going to say, because even GameStop, right, they'd have the stand-ups. But you needed to, like, have a really cool employee or manager that would go, just go pop open one of the used games and pop it in there. If they want to see it, they can play it right now before they buy it. You know, I, I was in a GameStop that did that for me a couple times. And I was like, I'm going to keep coming back here. You really let me play the game before I even left. That's great. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And those kind of interactions, I really was into that stuff, working at Blockbuster. Because that was how you got people not only... Like, forget about, forget about getting them to get that one sale, right? That was how you made trust with people. So that if you, if you talk to them about an upsell later, if you talk to them about anything, like you actually had their ear. You bought yourself a few seconds, you and, know? And even with Blockbuster, these people had choices of Blockbusters, right? Especially when I was in Salem, they had Lynn, they had Swampscott, they had Malden. They had Wakefield, you know, all within the vicinity. So to get people coming to our store to say, I live in Lynn and I'm coming all the way to you because of the service you guys give us over that other store, you know, because it's not like the company as a whole, you know, cared. Like if Lynn was doing well, that didn't mean that Salem was doing well, you know, and vice versa. We, we were all judged individually. So if we could steal, you know, business from another place. Right. And even another blockbuster, it became, you know, like, a, oh, a pride thing. Like, you know, we're better than the other one because we're not as corporate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And what was really interesting about that was that we had that mentality on friggin' Nitro because of Dave, because Dave was a sales managing trainer. Right. right. So Dave is like, the guy from corporate, like passing along the corporate messages and standing up the corporate ideals. Right. And so it was very interesting. Dave transitioned temporarily to that store's manager. That's so, so cool. Dave ran Salem for a while, but he ran it with that mentality. And like, I love Dave and I appreciate that kind of work environment because it helped us get things done. Right. It like created a confidence that we desperately needed. Like the home environment and the really chill, cool environment is great. That shit really don't work when you only have four employees. Exactly. Like you, you need to run a tight ship and that is what he did. But what that also I think did is that we never really got until later and unfortunately after I left a lot of that camaraderie. Right. And I think it did come but like, you know, Dave was hitting that hammer so hard that like, particularly for me, it's like, there's never really a moment that I feel super friggin' friendly around here. Like, I'm, you know, we're just under the gun for so much. Right. At any given moment. It's like the avalanche is about to drop. Absolutely. So how did, um, how did that all culminate? Like in your three and a half months, did you? Did you leave in a blaze of glory or uh, was it just uh, kind of like, you know, I'm done? <laughs> like, how did it work out? So I would have stayed. I actually would have stayed longer, but I was thinking about going. It, it actually happens that like a few weeks after I worked there, um, I got another potential job opportunity. And it sort of like wafted in and out. 
But at that place, they were looking for a crazy one-man band. And this was sort of like the, the stars aligning, right? The 5D had come out. These guys at a big tech company were looking for a one-man band. We were transitioning to like a one-man band idea. It was able to be possible that a big corporation could have could smaller have. video departments. And yeah. Like, could be a thing. Like, and so I was sort of like on the hook, but they were trying to find the money and the budgets and they didn't know. And it didn't happen until like mid to late October. Yeah. That, that started to actually firm up and become a real thing. And it was like, holy shit, I can't believe this. And so at the time, also, I really liked Dave and I really liked being there and I loved the people there. Um, so I didn't want to leave them hanging, particularly because they were so short staffed still. Right. You, you, uh, I, you, I saw the, uh, you saw the um, value in a, a good, um, honest employee and how little of those they had available to pick from. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and like, and you know, aside from that, even, like, I saw that they didn't have many hustlers. Like, I at Blockbuster was a hustler. Like, I could come in there riding at 80 miles per hour, and I would be at 80 until I walked out of that friggin' store. Right. Like, and they needed another person who was willing to commit to that kind of passion with, with whatever the store was. You know, it didn't matter. And so I was very lucky that at the time, a good friend of mine who I had worked at GameStop with, and I knew had that, he is, he is a, he's someone who was always riding at that speed, but also like sales don't bother him. It's not a thing that he has to, like he has to try. Like he just builds great natural rapport with people. And I actually got him, Dave loved him. Like my old manager, Dave loved him. And like, I got him in my job as I left. And it was just so perfect of like, you take this, you got this. I know you can do this. Like, I'll see you later. I'm going to this other thing. And it was really cool to like, I still visited that blockbuster a ton because it was on my way to my new job. Like I actually had to physically drive by that blockbuster. So I would just go in and see Carlos at night and be like, Hey, what's up, man? Like, how you doing? And, like, it was cool to still see the people from that store, you know, and, like, see it do well after I moved on. That's awesome. And then the the rest, as they say, is history, because you said that tech job kind of culminated into the creation of Infinite Canvas, right? You've... Yeah. Yeah, that tech, jo- that tech job got me traveling, got me doing a lot more stuff. I We bootstrapped a lot there, you know, and... As I built a, a reputation inside that company, you know, there's, when you make movies, you make movies. They, could, they go outside the company. And so that reputation grew. And then there became a point where uh, it was time to start getting other work. And then it was time to ultimately leave that company and break off on my own. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I mean, Blockbuster was the last pre-career job that I had, you know, and going through that much turmoil being there, I think really created a level of appreciation for finally settling into a career. Right. It kind of gave you that jump start of, oh man, like I don't want to be on under this much fire, you know, and, and change and, uh, and shift, you know, for the rest of my life. Right. Because that's that's the biggest problem with retail. Right. Is it's rocky. It's never a constant. Yeah. And, you know, I I think there's something to be said to look at a case study of like what employees for those kinds of jobs go through as opposed to what current corporate culture in America does in terms of like safety and like job safety, but also like emotional well-being and physical well-being and, and just like care, you know, it, it's just, it's so juxtaposing 
you could just feel how little Blockbuster gave a shit about you. Oh, they did not the give any shit. Time. Any shit. Like, nobody cared, you know? And and that, in turn, got felt by the customer. Right, exactly. That's, that's the end of it, right? Is they, they were doing all of it because they felt that they were doing what was better for the customer, or at least better to make the customer spend more money. But all they were doing was driving their customer base away to the thing that eventually killed them. I mean, look at it, the the physical person interactive experience of rent, movie rental nowadays outside of, you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix is to go to a robotic red kiosk like a candy bar dispenser and tell it what movie you want and it spits it out and you don't have to interact with anybody. Maybe another person standing in line. Maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the thing that Redbox, yeah. the thing that Redbox has Blockbuster beat on is Redbox actually allows the inventory to be dropped off at any location, whereas Blockbuster, <laughs> Blockbuster didn't even have enough good, good enough inventory to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think it's like we're getting into this territory here where we're begging to ask about capitalism and the current corporate structure and how shareholders only look at quarterly profits uh -huh. you know, and all this played a role in why blockbuster played the game the way that it did you know but but what that ultimately did was flush it down the toilet it did they uh they they gambled wrong they gambled yeah. they gambled on paper numbers instead of um customer experience right and it it just shot them in the face like imagine if disney Imagine if Disney didn't care if the person enjoyed the experience or not, right? Yeah, <laughs> that, that that's basically it. Um, yeah, well, well, and Chuck's, I think Chet's is the the ultimate alternate case study, right? right? Because they they folded what like a year ago or something. Or like, yeah, finally, it was and sad. They, and but that was still. That outpaced Blockbuster for years. By, years. by almost seven or eight years, right? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Like, the ability to do that was because Chet didn't have to look at a quarterly profit that needed a margin of growth for a certain period of time. I mean, not saying that he was, you know, month over month making money at the end. God bless him. I hope he was. Me too. You know, he probably was not. But like understanding what your landscape is beyond those numbers, understanding what those relationships look like. And it's just so unique at Blockbuster, you know, maybe this is all me being salty. Maybe I'll wake up tomorrow or another day and be like, eh, they did it the best they could. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so either. Something tells me, something nags me that like we could have run it better. And and I think that's the the topic for another one of these. So I'd I'd love to have you back on. Um, it's sure. we've been going Absolutely. we've been going about an hour, and um, our son Jake just won't sleep. So um, I I will I, I do a cool thing at the end here. I wanted to say one thing, and I'll say it quick. Just to you know, Jason, you, you people listening to this, you know the the breaking case of emergency one stop shop kind of guy. So Jason was always in my um in my group of film loving friends that actually. Uh, You'd show up for things when you said that you would, and um, you, you you know you know what I mean. And uh, you um you had your shit together and were organized. And so I was working on a movie with my friends from Blockbuster, a little zombie movie that um ended up coming out. You know, as as great as we wanted it to. It's 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 a silly little thing, you know, that only people in their twenties and early thirties could have pulled off. And um we we were all pretty proud of it, but we had you know the person making it had hired a whole cast of people that we filmed half the movie and then those people just stopped showing up. Um, so Jason and my buddy Jared and some people, uh, you know, came along and answered the call to help us finish that beast. And so um, if any of you ever see Ithaca Morn's A Zombie Odyssey, Jason's in there, the, uh, the guy in the cowboy hat. That's Jason. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't thought about that for a while. Yeah, I just, I wanted to make place, place in people's minds who you were. So, I, I always end these um, with what what pretending we're at a blockbuster and you're coming up to the register and you picked 
an employee favorite, you know, that's like your employee favorite. And then the other guy on the podcast has to recommend another movie to go along with it. So I'll start since, since it's you, Jason, I wanted to pick something um, of the uh, Asian Kung Fu variety since that was always your favorite genre. So I'm picking Jet Li's hero, um, which is one of my favorite movies he's ever done. Um, And if, I'm I'm assuming people listening to this may not have ever seen it, but it basically goes through an actual history of an emperor of China, um, but does it through a character um, telling a bunch of BS stories that are less and less fantasy as it goes along until you get the real one. And the movie's just beautiful and brilliant. And uh, Jason, have you ever seen Hero? I imagine you have. I have, but I've not seen it for years. Yeah, exactly. And if, if I was to come up and rent Hero... Um, what would you recommend um, I rent along with? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, if if you were going to rent Hero, I would probably recommend to you a juxtaposing film. So okay. something that was less fantastical. Uh, I would recommend to you Romeo Must Die. Oh, fuck yeah. I and love that one. There is just something about that movie. I know it's not great. I know the dialogue isn't amazing. It's it's you know, you're not going to be won over by any of that. But there's just something about that is like a good fun popcorn film that stars him, stars Jet Li. That was one of his it, American films that I really liked. I'm not even sure if it was American, but his not native tongue movies that was really yeah. cool. Yeah, it came out and it was just a film that, you know, it, it, it just has a great vibe about it. It's a movie that it, it, it definitely doesn't have this typical Hollywood feeling, which I feel like Hero doesn't either, because obviously Hero was not made in Hollywood. Um, but they're both movies that star him and they both have these really interesting things going on in the films. Agreed. So, so then, Jason, what what would your uh, movie you're bringing up to rent be? Hmm. Pull one out I mean, of your ass. About like, can I can I, like can we go up to 2018? You can go where you like can go wherever you want. Wherever you want. Oh man, um, this, you're putting me on the spot. Hardcore man. Um, That's kind of the you know, point. I would have to say I'd have to say a classic. I'd have to go with Pulp Fiction. Oh hell yeah! So, oh man. I love Pulp Fiction. And again, I'm, that, I'm assuming anyone listening to this has seen Pulp Fiction, but tell everybody quickly what Pulp Fiction is, Jay. So if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction is a really interesting layering of stories. It's a You're mostly following a couple of hitmen, played by John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, but there are these other interwoven stories that all sort of reside around this criminal named Marcellus Wallace and and everything ultimately revolves around Marcellus Wallace but um, you're getting Marcellus Wallace from all these different angles and the point of the movie is the dialogue it characters are built through the conversations they have with each other and these sort of zany weird but great situations it's a movie that isn't a wildly expensive it doesn't have all these thrills um it's a movie that was actually like looks pretty cheap when you when you kind of all things considered but it's one that really thrives in great characters and amazing amazing dialogue and one hell of a cast it's so quotable oh my one God. hell of yeah. a cast the cast sells that dialogue so so well and that was off the bat that was quentin tarantino's like second directorial feature and had an Academy Award nom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and he, I'm sure you know about this because I know I know you're a fan of Kevin Smith as well. But you'll hear you hear those guys from that era talk about not having money, right? right? Like not having boatloads of cash to do cool car chases and the things they wanted to do, you know. So they they had to have great dialogue. They had to make the film with something else. They have something else tantalizing about it. And when you see these results, you know, it's, the film is just as magnetic as 
any other great film of the time. Absolutely. It has so much more character. So, so if you were going to bring up Pulp Fiction, I um, it's going to be a low-hanging fruit, but I'd have to go with From Dusk Till Dawn. Mm. And, and the thing <laughs> I love the most about From Dusk Till Dawn is it's Quentin Tarantino and his buddy Robert Rodriguez making a movie that, from what I remember from the advertisements at first, weren't advertising what the movie actually was. And so you get this movie where you've got George Clooney, you know, like showing up as like this gangster with a guy in their trunk and they're running from the cops. And it, it really wants you to think you're getting another Pulp Fiction. And when they eventually get to where they're going or where they're going to wait it out, it turns into this completely over-the-top horror flick with vampires and all this crazy shit that's more in Robert Rodriguez's wheelhouse. And it's great to see, you know, the dialogue of Pulp Fiction mixed with that genre, you know? Um, and I love it. I love that little bait-and-switch they pulled on people. So <laughs> And, like, it, it's, like, not to be underestimated. They do not get to that bar until, like, 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. They, they literally like you make no you idea wait. what it was. You would be like, wait, what's happening now? If you did not know that it was a vampire movie, it would blow the doors off you. You'd be like, what is happening right now? And, <laughs> Why and, is there a genre shift in the middle of this film? And Tarantino's actually the other actor. It's Clooney and Tarantino. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but anyway, now that Jake's still freaking out, I'm, I'm going to call that the end, Jay. Um, I really want to thank you for being on this. Um, um, it's great to get a chance to talk to you. We're going to have to hang out again soon because we haven't in a bit. Um, again, that's infinitecanvas.co if you want to check out Jason's company. Um, and as always, I've been uh, Chris Chipman, the Chippa. You can find me at patreon.com slash the Chippa. The Chippa made this on YouTube. And check out the Chipman Brothers Tangent and shooting the shit with Chippa and creating geeks um, that I do with my wife. Um, and until next time, thank you for making it a Talkbuster night or day, or wherever the hell you're listening to this, and please be kind, rewind. Have a good night. Later.